Welcome to the Healthy Church Growth Show podcast with me, Madge Obasaki. I'm an ordained minister, a church consultant, author, and I'm honoured to be the host of this podcast. This podcast addresses a wide range of issues which affect the healthy growth of the church at large. Every single Monday, you'll hear me with fellow ministers, church leaders, and experts in their field to help leaders in the body of Christ identify practical solutions. Join me every Monday for an episode of the Healthy Church Growth Show podcast. We are looking at apologetics and how we can defend our faith. So with that, I want to welcome Ed Stoll and Ed is in Maryland. Ed, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Minister Madge, for having me on your show. I want to ask you, first of all, about your heart for youth, because I know during the day you work as auditor. You know, that's your job and I'm sure you love it. But your heart is actually for youth. Why why is that? A couple of reasons. It's one of those things where I think sometimes uh, passion doesn't always equal our career. I mean, I, I love my career, but my passion has always been for church youth. Uh, when I was growing up, the church youth ministry was very important to me and very important to my development. Sometimes I think I should have been a youth pastor, but it doesn't really pay the bills. But I have a big passion for church youth. Um, I guess to talk about my passion, probably like to let you know how I got started in this, because I never had any intention of talking about apologetics with youth, um, going to conferences to talk to youth. I mean, it was never my plan. So I always knew that God was going to call me to be a husband and a father. I started preparing for that. And I, I said, you know, I need to be a good spiritual leader for my family. And I need to raise my kids in Christ. So I need to really develop my faith. So I started going through the whole Bible. This is years before I met my wife. Uh, did an exhaustive study of the entire Bible, really working through all the different passages. I listened to as many apologetics teachers that I could, like Walter Martin is probably my favorite. Robbie Zacharias, another one of my favorites. And I really worked on developing my faith so that when I had kids, I can answer the hard questions that they have. Because, you know, I believe that when... I passed away one day and I, I go before God and I know that I'm going to go to heaven because I have uh, Christ in me, but he is going to judge me on my actions. One thing that I'd like to share. So my son, Kyle, he's 12 now. He doesn't talk to me as much as he used to, but that's, that's, a whole other <laughs> that's his I age, when my kids isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but we still have our moments. But um, when my son, Kyle was five years old, came home from kindergarten one day and I got home from work that evening and he told me he didn't think the Bible was true. And man, my heart skipped a beat. Um, because that's something as parents we don't want to hear. Although I've realized now after this experience and other experiences that it's good when kids express their doubt and their faith, whether it's your kids or the kids you're teaching, because it shows that they're working on their faith. But at the time I was really concerned. But so I asked him, I said, well, did something happen at school? Why are you asking me this? Why are you saying this? And he said, well, I've been thinking about it a lot. And my son, Kyle's always been a really deep thinker. I'm not surprised at the questions he asked, but I was really worried. So I asked him, I said, well, why do you, why don't you think the Bible's true? And he said, well, I have three reasons. I said, okay. He said, giants aren't real, dad, are they? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the story about Goliath, giants aren't real. I said, okay. And what else, Kyle? And he said, the story about Jonah being in the belly of a fish and um, living for three days, that can't happen. And I said, what else? And he said, well, the story of uh, Noah and the flood, silly. So I took a deep breath. And um, fortunately, I had thought about these things. And I had even developed slides on them, believe it or not. So I took a deep breath. And I said, Kyle, let's talk about giants. You remember, you know what the Guinness Book of World Records is, Kyle. 
And he did because he wanted to break the Guinness Book of World Records for lack of sleep, for going longest without sleep. He was like three. He's always been an uh, interesting kid. So I said, well, did you know that there was this guy named Robert Pershing Waldo, born in Alton, Illinois, in the United States in 1918? He was eight feet, 11 inches tall. Wow. Does that sound like a giant? Wow. He said, yeah. yeah. And I said, he was really strong because he was a big guy. And I said, I showed him a picture. I dug up a picture on the internet. And I showed him a picture of uh, Robert Pershing Waldo standing next to an average sized woman. So then I said, Kyle, can giants be real? And he said, yeah. And I said, of course, always remember, Kyle, that God can do anything you want. So if God wanted to create a giant, he could. And he said, yeah, but I would, we're just going to talk about what's happening in the natural world. So Kyle said, okay, I believe giants can be real. He said, let's talk about Jonah. And I said, interestingly enough, Kyle, there's a lot of documentation for this guy named James Bartley. And in 1891, he was a sailor on a ship called the Star of the Eat. And he fell overboard. Everybody thought he was dead. But the next day, when they pulled up a 80-foot sperm whale, I think they were probably cutting up the blubber. Guess who was inside alive? This guy, James Bartley. He said, wow. So I said, okay. He said, we can talk about the flood. And I said, Kyle, I said, I can guarantee there was a worldwide flood. I said, the worldwide flood, there's more documentation that there was a worldwide flood than any other ancient item in history, anything in antiquity. I said, did you know there's... 80,000 records of the flood in 72 languages around the world. Okay, Dad, I believe the Bible is true. Uh, do you want to play? And that was the end of our discussion. Wow. I mean, that contextualized thing for him in a real way, in a world, worldview way that he could relate to. And that, that's quite a big key, really, to apologetics and we keep mentioning that word we've mentioned it four times now but can you explain exactly what apologetics is well, it comes from the greek term apologia and that's i guess i've been told that's the way it's supposed to be pronounced and it really just means defense uh, so you're defending your faith so it's a you're just standing up for your faith you're defending your faith that's really what it means so when we say apologetics we're just it's we're just thinking intellectually about how to say that christianity is true that jesus is true that the bible is true those kind of things. Mm. So do you feel that um, leaders in the church, and I, I make this distinction between leaders in the church and church leaders, because leaders in the church, people like yourself, who are actually serving in, in your local church, I know that, as people like myself do, I run a ministry, I'm a leader, compared to just the people that, who are senior. So I want to say leaders in the church. Do you think that they're equipped enough uh, to defend their faith? I think uh, yes and no. I think there's a lot of good teachers, a lot of good Sunday teachers, a lot of good middle school and high school youth leaders. I think what it boils down to sometimes is, is sometimes there's a, a lack of support. Uh, and I'll just give you an example. For instance, like when I teach the, the middle school youth, and I focus on that age because I feel like that's the age that you have to reach and it's your last chance to reach in for Christ. Because by the time they get to high school, they've kind of checked out. I don't know about uh, if there's any parents out there. Just think about it. When you have kids that are of the age of high school, they probably don't talk to you much, aren't very open about what they're doing. It's the same kind of thing. Whereas in middle school, the kids still think I'm cool. You know, they still want to hang out with me. Uh, we'll go ride roller coasters and do stuff and build relationships. But once they get to high school, a lot of that stops. So Sorry to interrupt you, Ed. What What is middle school? Because obviously I'm in the UK and we don't have the same terms as we were saying earlier. We we speak the same language, but express it very differently. So what is middle school? What age group are you talking about? That, is, that would be uh, like 12 to 14. 12 to 14. Okay. And then 
the high school is 15 onwards, is it? 15, 8. Right, okay. So they're too cool for school versus the kids are seen as quite as sophisticated. Yeah. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. So sorry to interrupt you. Okay, so so sometimes I think the, the there's a, got a lot of good leaders in the church or good teachers, I should say, because we're talking about more lay teachers, but they need to support the church. For instance, like a lot of teachers are not going to be able to develop their curriculum on their own. They're going to use the curriculum that's provided by the church. Now, when kids are younger, when they're, uh, they're younger, before the age of 12 to 14, they learn a lot of the Bible studies. I mean, a lot of the Bible stories. They learn about Noah, about Samson, about Goliath, about parable of the Good Samaritan. They learn a lot of Bible stories, but they don't learn a lot of doctrine and a lot of critical thinking. A lot of times it spills over into the 12 to 14 and 15 to 19 ages. You have to have a good curriculum. So it starts with the curriculum. So if the curriculum is just talking about Bible stories, but they're not learning, hey, there's evidence behind these Bible stories. There's, I need to learn to think critically. I need to learn to defend my faith. I have to really understand that people are going to attack my faith. If that's not done, and it's really not done from what I see in a lot of churches, a lot of the churches, the curriculum is about the content of the Bible, mainly the historical stories in the Bible, as opposed to a lot of the doctrine. So I think that's that can be part of the issue because the teachers aren't going to be able to have the time to develop the curriculum. A, a couple other things, I think, are, are, I can only talk about the U.S. culture. I'm not quite sure exactly of the U.K. culture. That's one of the I'd like to learn more about what's happening over there. And I guess I will during our dialogue. Yeah, sure. A lot of the churches seem to be uncomfortable talking about certain topics uh, that are discussed in the Bible. And these are the topics that the youth ask questions about. Like when I'm in my class with my students, questions that they ask me will make me blush. I mean, they ask me, they're very straightforward and they ask a lot of these questions. And I do, uh, well, they're, they're, it'll be like, hey, I know what the Bible says about sexuality and our culture seems to be saying something different. I'm confused. They ask a lot of questions in that arena. There's a lot of, um, so I talk, I, those I have to talk to the parents about and kind of let them know, but there's a lot of things and they're, they're very blunt. They, they ask things like, well, you know, I have my a Muslim friend at school, are they going to go to hell? Jesus is in play. Yeah, these are the type of questions they're asked. Uh, churches sometimes can avoid these questions, but these are the questions that kids want are asking. These are, these are what, what they want answers to. So, and they really ask these questions and we, we really work through them. But I, what, I, what I always tell them, I say, you know, it doesn't matter what my opinion is. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It really doesn't matter what the culture's opinion is. Let's focus on what the Bible says about these things. And, and, um, and leave it at that. So in these situations, I try just to read what the Bible says and try to leave my opinion out of it. And the other, other thing, too, is um, this is happening in the UK, but here there is a tremendous amount of anti-Christian bias in our culture. Mm. Uh, really, in our public schools is mm. where a lot of it is. Mm. And it's really sad. And um, to make some examples when we talk about Kennedy and, the, um, and how it's been affected by the culture, that item affects how youth uh, pastors and teachers think about things. I think sometimes they're a little bit um, uh, reticent to try to maybe talk about some things. So, Well, let, let's talk about that since you brought it up, because as you rightly said, Christian beliefs have been challenged, uh, beliefs, teachings, actions, and over the centuries, um, but never, never like now. I know most of America is post-Christian, as is in the UK as well. People have arguments about Christianity concerning corruption, 
the superstition, the bigotry, dictatorial, sectarian. It's been described as all these things. Do you think that that is also impacting people's ability to connect and engage with you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's been a lot of terrible things done in the name of religion, and that includes Christianity, unfortunately. I mean, I'm ashamed of some of the history in, in Christianity, but we have to always remember, I tell my youth, you know, we need to focus on Christ because Christ is the only one that, the only human that lived a perfect life. And I'll say human because he was 100% human as well as 100% God. He was the only one that lived a perfect life, and the rest of us all struggle with sin. Mm -hmm. So that's going to mean that people that they're Christians and they may even be Christians. They're going to do a lot of stupid things and do a lot of bad things. So we have to focus on Christ and not focus on church leaders. Because if we put our faith in a particular church leader, they're probably going to let us down. So I, I, I try to explain to them that they have to focus on um, focus on Christ. But what's happening, like, for instance, there's a situation in, in the United States now, which is, you know, not an unusual situation where there's a pastor youth pastor in a church in New York, and he was um, admitted having an affair, not a marriage, and there's allegations that he also had affairs with some of the girls in the youth group. I mean, this stuff really does put a stain on Christianity. The, I'd imagine the kids in that youth group have, have really been affected. The kids in the youth group that don't know Christ but only, yet but only had a seed planted, it, it may shatter their chance to come to Christ. It's really a shame. But I, So I always try to tell my, my kids, you need to focus on Christ, uh, because that's where perfection is. It's not in us, and it's not in any any human. But the bigger issue is um, just a tremendous amount of anti-Christian bias in our culture and how that's affecting our church kids. I mean, it, it's amazing. In fact, I'm, when I mention this, I would say that most parents are clueless about this until I mention it to them. But when I mention it to the parents in the churches, uh, they've never even heard about uh, uh, this. Um, so my, I'd like to raise awareness of the fact that, hey, these attacks are happening right now in lower school and middle school and in high school. And then when they get to the university here in the United States, they are really intensified. So, so in, a, in an elementary school in Michigan, uh, there was an eight-year-old. And yes, I said eight years old, Jason Cross. He's on the autism spectrum. He's highly functioning. So he goes to a typical school, but he is on the autism spectrum. And I have a nephew who's autistic. So a lot of times autistic kids cling to an item, security. My nephew, it was a blanket for a long time. Well, this kid, it was his Bible. So he would bring his Bible to school. He would read it during his free time, uh, during lunch and during breaks. He was told he was not allowed to bring his Bible to school to read, that it had been, that it was banned, that it was a violation of a... Now, a lot of times what happens is somebody, one of the teachers of the school makes a mistake, but a day or two later, they come to their senses and they realize it's a mistake. But in this case, it took months. There were appeals, attorneys got involved before it got resolved. So it was even though the school finally said, okay, you can bring your Bible to school. I mean, at what expense to his faith? Months and months of being shamed for his faith. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I looked up to my teachers. I thought they were fantastic. I believed everything they said. So when, if a teacher told me something was wrong, that would have really made a big yeah. impact. On me. They, they definitely were influencers. And I don't mean to knock the teachers, because I, I think that there's a lot of good teachers in our public school system. Yeah. I think there's a lot of confusion about what's permissible and not, not permissible. But what, what schools have to remember is teachers in the school they have to be careful about not promoting a particular religion, but students have complete freedom of expression. That's well, this one probably bothers me the most. I don't know why, but maybe because the, it's a middle school. It's a middle school girl in Texas. Uh, her name was Hannah Allen. One of her friends had gotten an accident. I think it was a car accident. 
And so she was came back to school. Her friends were glad to see her. So during lunchtime in the cafeteria, they gathered around to pray for her and they laid hands on her and prayed. For her. This is in the cafeteria during their free time. Immediately, the principal got up and said, you can't do that. Wow. To make matters worse, the next day, you would hope that he would have an epiphany. But the next day, he said, he brought them all into his office and he said, you know, you can pray at school, but it's got to be a place where there's nobody else around, like an empty football field or an empty school theater. Higher ups got involved and they said, now this, they have the right of uh, prayer, the right of freedom of expression of religion at school. So, but again, at what expense to Hannah's faith and her friend's faith? I mean, and also those kids who aren't Christians, they see that they, they may be more reticent to become a Christian, to think about Christianity. They may think Christianity really is a bad thing. So I think that now when it gets to college, that's when it really gets uh, much more intensified. What age group are you talking about here for college? Because we talk about universities mainly. So college would be what age? 18 and 19. Right. Okay. So they're entering kind of the degree level studies. Yes. This is kind of sad. I would say probably once a month, I get a call from one of my friends or from a friend of a friend or somebody tells me my Christian child went to college, went to university, they're in their first semester, and all of a sudden they tell me they don't believe in God anymore, they're not a Christian. It happens all the time. Uh, there was a girl at my old church who was very involved in the youth group, very sweet girl, really seemed to be strong in her faith. Uh, she went to university, took a philosophy class. A month into that class, she called up her father, who's a good friend of mine, and told him, I don't believe God is real. So he got in, he got in his car and drove down and tried to talk to her. And she's really struggling in a lot of areas. And I think, um, but this is very common. Lower schools, I do think there's a lot of confusion with the teachers on, on religion and state and the separation of that. I don't think there's any confusion in the university. I think there's really an agenda. And the reason I say that is because professors are very open about it. I'm going to read a quote. This is from Professor Richard Rorty. Now, he's since passed away. He was a professor of philosophy at Princeton University, also a, a professor of humanities at the University of Virginia, and he also was a professor at Stanford. So you're talking about a pretty impressive resume. And this is what he says, and I want you to listen because he's talking to parents. He says, we are going to go right on trying to discredit you in the eyes of your children, trying to strip your fundamentalist religious community of dignity, trying to make your views seem silly rather than discussable. The attacks on Christianity seem to be much more intense for whatever reason. It sounds to me, Ed, like I'm sure you've seen the film God's Not Dead, one and two. Yes. I didn't see two. Oh, well, yeah, I'll check I it out. I think it's still on Netflix, but it's very good for anybody to watch and how that young man and others defend their faith. Um, a good film to watch, I think. It sounds like uh, the professor who was fighting until till his dying breath almost, that, you know, right. God's dead, doesn't exist. And, you know, so teachers, professors, university lecturers have a very powerful position. But here's the thing, kids grow up like your children, they grow up with a mother and a father, or they might grow up with a father separately or mother separately, they might have grandparents, and many of them have influences around them. Okay, some of them don't, but a lot of them do. So what do you feel parents can do to encourage their children in, in the faith? I'm glad that you said that because, you know, it's it really comes down to parents. I mean, in Deuteronomy, it says that I'm paraphrasing the verse, but it, what it basically says is you have to 24-7 do everything you can to make 
God, the central part of the family. What I want parents to know is that this is happening when kids go to college, because there's not a lot of awareness that it is happening. Parents need to be seem to be surprised. But more importantly, the kids need to know that it's going to happen when they get to college so that they're prepared mentally and also intellectually. And when they know it's coming and when they're prepared intellectually and they're grounded in their faith, then they can work these things out. They can realize, hey, what I'm learning in, in school about the Bible or about the, this history part is not accurate history. In fact, I teach a course called Evidence the Bible is True for Kids. Um, it takes about 12 weeks, one hour sessions. I go through it with my class. In that class, we talk about like archaeology that proves God exists with kids. It's one thing if I say something like, hey, the walls of Jericho were discovered. But if I show them a picture of that, or for instance, you know, the story in the Bible when the widow, he gave a couple of pennies and but Jesus said she gave more than everybody else because she gave everything she had. I have a widow, actually a widow's mite from that time and I pass around and the kids see it. So when they see things like that, it makes a, an impression on them. So if so, kids need to know that this attack is coming and parents need to know it's coming and then they can prepare themselves for that. I know a lot of Americans like to say, okay, we... America is a Christian nation. Um, there's really not anything, any such thing as a Christian nation. At the end of the day, we have God's kingdom and we have man's kingdom. And yes, we were founded on certain Christian principles. But at the end of the day, you know, one thing that Jesus promises, if you follow him, you're going to be attacked for your faith. You're going to be persecuted. It's, it's a promise. And we know it's coming. So the question is, you know, we need to prepare our kids for that. Mm, that's so important. And are there any courses or resources that can prepare parents? So it, you know, can they go online? I mean, everything's online at the moment, but can they go online? So I, te- I actually teach three kind of classes. I teach one class for the kids called Evidence the Bible is True, although I've done it a lot for adults too, which has been kind of fun. Um, some churches have asked me to do that. Then I teach another class on raising godly children in the secular culture where we talk about that. And the last class that I teach is for church leaders on why youth are leaving the church. So I, I do a lot of that. As far as resources, there, there's not really a lot of resources out there. There's some. Mm-hmm. What I recommend that parents do is really just get stronger in their faith. And I there's one book that I'm going to recommend. I'm um, in this, in our society, we have a society of um, there's short attention spans, and, and <laughs> we need quick hitters. So there's a book, there's a book called the Bible Answer Book. It's by Hank Hanegraaff. Not endorsing him. Uh, he's probably a great guy, but I'm just saying this particular book. It it has about a 150 questions of uh, that that are hard questions to ask about the Bible, and I always recommend that parents in in high schoolers read through that book. Um, it's a question. It probably has a, and the book's small, so it's uh, it, it's pretty quick answers. And if, if they read through that, they'll kind of they really kind of get a firm foundation in their faith. Uh, repeat so, the name of the author, please. Uh, Hank Hanegraaff, Hanegraaff. Uh, the Bible Answer Book. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll what we'll do is apart from your own details, uh, so people can get in touch with you to connect with the courses and the resources you have. We'll also put that in the show notes as well, so people can click on the link. So Ed, if you had one piece of advice to give a leader in the church, not just church leaders, but leaders in the church, whether they're youth pastors or student pastors or people who are serving in the church, what would it be? I would say the first thing is relationship. You have to build a relationship with with the youth. For me, I love going on roller coasters and bungee jumping and doing all that crazy stuff, going the laser 
laser tag events. So I take the kids to, well, I don't take them bungee jumping, but I take them on all the other stuff. And, um, and that's where they ask the hard questions. That's where you bond. Um, that's where you get to know the kids. That's where I had one girl during that time tell me, tell me that she was thinking about committing suicide. So that's not going to be mentioned in class, but it's going to be mentioned when you build a relationship with them. And I did talk to her parents about that, but I can tell you, I've been doing this for like about 15 to 18 years. I've never seen so much depression Mm. with the middle schoolers i've never seen so much thoughts of suicide mm. and it, i and i don't know why but it's especially with the girls maybe maybe the guys aren't as open maybe the our culture puts different demands on, on the girls but it is really rampant i mean um you're talking about i would say about 30 percent of the girls that i've seen it's, it's really scary and these are in the church so so they need to realize that as well also, they need to not shy away from the hard questions or hard topics. I was in a class once. I was in there. We were co-teaching. And one of the students asked a, they, they asked a difficult, difficult question. Uh, it was in the arena of sexuality. There seems to be a lot of questions about that. We have to give the kids answers. And the, my co-teacher said, oh, we shouldn't answer that. You should talk to your parents. And I said, I'm going to have to disagree with you because it's one thing. If, if she asked me that one-on-one, then they may say talk to your parents. But they're asking me this in a class setting. Um, I have to, we have to answer it. So we answered it and we have to answer the hard questions. When the kids ask questions like, how can Jesus be the only way? Is hell real? Why did God let my grandfather die? We have to, we have to be able to answer those questions and we can't shy away from them because otherwise the kids really aren't going to really deepen their faith. And the last thing I would say is we really have to teach the kids, not just the stories in the Bible, but the, the evidence behind those stories, the doctrine, there's so much evidence that the Bible's true. I mean, the archaeological evidence is unbelievable. In fact, every lesson I teach, I always talk about some archaeological discovery, uh, whether it's a picture of a finding, um, whether it's a um, picture of a secular historian who talked about Jesus. And we talk about it every single time because the kids really need to know that their faith is not just blind faith, but it's faith based on evidence. So I think if the, if the youth leaders kind of focus on those three things, relationship, they focus on, you know, answering the hard questions and they focus on, you know, not just teaching them the stories in the Bible, but teaching them the evidence behind the Bible, teaching kids to think critically. That's amazing. And it's so practical as well. And I, you know, I, I'm hoping that people will take note, re-listen to this episode and connect uh, with Ed Stoll, because um, this is clearly a passion for you. I mean, you, you were talking about suicide, for instance. We're going to, again, put these resources in the show notes, but Garner, who are a big research organization, uh, have got a website called The Connected Generation. That's the generation we've been talking about today. And as you said, yet with all that connecting with social media, reality TV, and they've never had it so good, but they're the most depressed generation ever. And there are reasons for that. So what we'll do is we'll put those resources in the show notes so that if you're concerned about youth, the future of the church, because they are the ones that will take the church forward, then look in uh, the show notes for the Healthy Church Growth Show podcast. If anybody wants me to, uh, to speak to their group, whether it's virtually or whether it's in person, the best way to reach me is through email. It's edls at yahoo.com. Edward. David, Larry, Sammy at yahoo.com. I will answer. I will come out. So please reach out to me. My passion is speaking to youth and in dealing with them. And the other thing I wanted to mention is you mentioned the Barna group. 70% 
of youth are leaving church after high school worldwide, 70%. So seven out of 10 are leaving church with only one out of those seven ever coming back. So just think about that stat and how serious this is. So in your church, seven out of the 10 kids that you see walking around are going to lose their faith if we don't do something about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Barna is a very good resource. And um, even your email address will be added to the show notes so people thank you. Will know how to get in touch with you. Your biog will be there as well. Ed, thank you so much for your time, um, your knowledge, your wisdom, your understanding of um, and the, one of the most important subjects. God bless you. God bless you too, Minister Matt.